This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. When you're a pro, your reputation is built and proven over time. That's why the Home Depot carries Loctite PL Premium Max construction adhesive, the strongest on the market. It stays 100% solid after curing. It won't develop air pockets. And like your reputation, it holds up over time. Right now, get 12 or more for the bulk price of only $8.53 each. Loctite PL Premium Max at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Minimum purchase required, U.S. only. You know what I want? <laughs> I want a top Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm Mel Sampson Folk, and today a very special guest, a guy you might have seen on TV interacting with some of your favorite players before, J.E. Skeets, formerly of the Starters and the Basketball Jones Podcast, now with no dunks via The Athletic. How are you doing today, man? I'm great, Sam. Thanks for having me on. I got to ask you right away, Sampson Folk, is that your real name or is that a J.E. Skeets type of name? It is it is a real name. Man. Does it seem like a pseudonym? Like I mean, a little bit. It's that's a badass name. That's just a good name. Because a lot of people obviously they hear G. E. Skeets and then they hear Tass Mellis. And Tass, like, he gets a lot of people saying that sounds like a fake name too. Maybe it's because he's doing a podcast with J. E. Skeets. I'm not sure. They're just both great names, Samson Folk and Tass Mellis. So good on you. Good on your parents for that one. Yeah, and mine mine isn't even Greek. I assume Taz is Greek, right? Taz That's Mellis? true. That's true. It's like Anastasios, so I'm probably butchering that, but he's got the short form version there. It's Tassos and then down to Tass. It gets shorter and shorter. We'll just call him T soon. T yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well I knew a Greek guy that was just named Cosmos Cosmos. So they got great names over They there. do have great names. No regard for any type of scheme. It's just you call them what you call them. Exactly. But hey, thanks thanks for uh, telling me my name is good. I, I'm good proud name. of it as well. Great. <laughs> First question, not to get into anything too basketball-y right away, but I've seen you post about it, and it's a shoe that I love. What makes a Nike Blazer the greatest sneaker silhouette of all time? Oh, I'm glad you've noticed. I love the Nike Blazer. Um, I think, I mean, really in one word, it's just the simplicity of it. It's sort of just a clean-ass design, um, which I like. Uh, especially in today's shoes, there's a lot of crazy, crazy designs. And, and you know, they work on some people. They do not work on me. Um, so I like that sort of timeless look. It's been around forever. I think, like, George Gervin was rocking them in the 70s, actually playing basketball in them. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't recommend that. But they're also fairly ex- inexpensive, I think, um, when it comes to a shoe. And I also sort of like the – they got, like, a skateboard um, vibe to them. And if, uh, you know, if I ever – had the chance to, uh, you know, relive my life, I would want to get into skateboarding or BMX biking and, uh, and sort of go that route. Cause it's something I never did as a kid, but I've always been fascinated by. So maybe that's a part of it too. Uh, it seems like a, a skater shoe, but, uh, I love the Nike blazer. I've, I've, I've had a lot of them. It's funny that you brought up skateboarding because as a Canadian kid, I find that Canadian children growing up, you would, I wonder if you're the same way that games with your hands, you can pick up quite quickly like ping pong, badminton, hockey, anything where it's the hand-eye coordination. Right. But skateboarding, soccer, the coordination of the feet has always been beyond me. What's your experience with that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I played soccer growing up. I think it's uh, a big part of why I love basketball. I think they do, those two sports sort of go hand in hand um, in terms of sort of looking ahead and obviously moving the ball and stuff like that. 
Um, but as a Canadian, I'm one of those very weird Canadians that did not grow up playing hockey, even though I, I'm from small town Ontario and hockey is a way of life. It's a religion. Uh, just didn't get a lot of practice when I was young on the skates. Uh, and it turns out you need to skate to play hockey. So uh, I loved street hockey and I think I was fairly good at that. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I just never, I think in my head that I would be a good skateboarder. Um, I feel like I have good balance. I've got the build for it. Uh, I'm fairly <laughs> ballsy. Like I'm not afraid to fall. I'm sort of made of rubber. I've somehow never broken a bone despite doing some really dumb things in my life. So I feel like I would be a good skateboarder. I have no idea if that's true, but if I'd taken it up young, uh, maybe I would have flourished and uh, won some uh, gold medals in the X Games. But no, it's just uh, something I've always, I guess I just admire it more than anything, the stuff people can do on the board. Yeah. Well, to get back to the etymology, J.E. Skeets is a fantastic skateboarder name. By uh, the that's way. true. That's a good point. That's a it's, great point. It's right there with it. Yeah, it works. Well, for me, I grew up in small town Saskatchewan. So same as you, like there's this culture of hockey. Yeah, I was happy to get away from it at some point. I did play hockey growing up, but I was happy to find basketball and start playing a decent level of basketball. And so I'm wondering, as somebody who grew up, and you said you were one of the, the weird or maybe the exceptions growing up in small town Ontario that you didn't play hockey. And now that you, you obviously you work in basketball, you played soccer growing up. After this championship, the way the Raptors have been present in, I guess, the zeitgeist of Canada for the past few years, how do you think that changes how people participate in basketball at a young age? Oh, I think I've seen it just, you know, the evolution in, you know, Canadian sports, uh, youth Canadian sports, just more people taking it up and people falling in love with uh, the sport of basketball. No doubt um, that that's that's happened. It's happened already. It's continuing to happen. and It's only going to get better and better, in my opinion, uh, with more people leaning towards uh, um, playing it. And a big part of it, no doubt. Like I remember I started to get into baseball when the Blue Jays were winning the World Series. I remember that was, you know, probably the peak of my baseball fandom and wanting to play it and, and stuff like that. So there's no doubt that that's exactly, in, I, I would assume that's exactly what's happening with 10, 11, 12 year olds, both girls and boys seeing the Raptors, um, obviously, you know, be a pretty good team over the last couple of years and then to take it to the next level and win a title. Like there, there is no doubt that that's encouraging kids to get outside and shoot around on the hoop or want to sign up to play, you know, um, in their school or in rec leagues and stuff like that. So it's just like, I think something like that has a huge, huge effect on, um, on, on kids, uh, being able to see that, that your Canadian team, your, your, you know, so to speak, your hometown team, cause it sort of is all of Canada's team in a weird way. Um, go that far and win the title. You just want to play. It's just uh, exciting. It just makes it exciting. So I would just think, uh, numbers in, will skyrocket even more, uh, with, uh, youth, uh, playing the sport. I think so too. And wondering about like the next step for a youth person in Canada playing basketball. We're pretty well represented on the world stage and at the NCAA level. I'm wondering what you think has to happen or how soon it happens that high school players, the really good ones in Canada, can stay in Canada for the duration of their high school playing career, let's say, and then be able to go to the NBA. They don't have to leave Canada. They don't have to go to America to actually pursue their dreams of professional basketball. When do you think that becomes a regularity? Yeah, it's tough because you're just talking a numbers game at that point. You just need so many high-end high school players to be able to stay here in Canada to play against each other because that's what you have to 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 make it to the you know not only the college level but of course the, then to the NBA level. You have to play against people that are better than you um, or on your level, and you can't just go out and kill kids. Um, you know, and drop 50 every game. Like you're not going to get better that way. So that that's a tough one to answer. Um, that's probably a long ways down the road, but I'm sure that's the plan with Canada basketball and, and strides they're making to get to that point. But right now, um, in the high school level, probably premature, though I would argue you're starting to see it a tiny, tiny, tiny bit, even with some of the colleges, um, universities in Canada, um, getting better and better and better. Um, that will be really the first step you know, that those teams, um, some of those um, programs can sort of challenge the, the, the teams in the States at the NCAA level. Uh, that'll be the first step. And then that will sort of bleed maybe into uh, high school sports. But, you know, the truth is, too, sports still in Canada 
and I think actually in a good way are still not, they're not, they're not on the level that they are in America because it's just a, still a money-making machine in the States. And there's so much pressure on these kids at a young age and, you know, you know, be it football or basketball and stuff like that. It's, it's, I find it a little icky um, at that that young age to uh, have that much pressure on some of these kids um, and like selling out gyms and stuff like that. That's a, it's it, that's really hasn't it's not really the Canadian way yet. At least with basketball, I can't really speak about hockey because I'm sure it is um, at lower levels. But I hope it doesn't get you know too extreme. To be completely frank, that's actually a really good point. I hadn't thought about the icky underside of commodifying young yeah. people. We, we're already yeah. dealing with that in the culture about it at the collegiate level. And then you because you don't want to make to get into the, the communism, capitalism, but you don't want to make it so that the workforce doesn't get any of the benefits of their work, you know, of right. their labor and not to get into <laughs> political science or anything like that. But that's, you know, at the very basic fundamental part of it, you don't want to have kids providing this great level of basketball or hockey or whatever, selling out like small gyms and stuff like that and then not seeing any of it and having it become part of the culture and then the fallout of that like even with LeBron James it's a it's a miracle that he is as well put together as he is just oh, because of how sure. how he was exposed to the media at a young age and that it would be nice to avoid that in Canada while also having guys like Corey Joseph up and guys like that come up and and play in Canada and then go to the NBA in Canada and speaking yeah. of that is there a favorite Canadian player of yours? Somebody you really enjoy watching, or maybe you know them and they're they're quite nice. A current player we're talking here. You can whatever you want, man. I mean, my favorite Canadian player. My favorite. I, I would probably have him on my top three favorite players of all time. It's Steve Nash. I mean, that to me is that's a no brainer, and it's not just because I sort of look like him uh, and I get those comparisons. <laughs> not not how I play basketball, actual physical appearance. Um, and I have had the opportunity to meet him a couple times and interview him, and he's he really he's just a good old Canadian boy. He, truthfully, he's just the nicest guy. Um, no ego on him at all, despite being a two time MVP and the success that he's had. Um, so yeah, I go Nash. He, he was a big part of like really really. Uh, getting me hooked on the sport and and uh, again it goes sort of hand in hand with that weird soccer analogy um and the uh similarities between the two nash having played it and has a brother that plays uh professional um soccer and i think his father was really into it um and just how he sort of looks at them and i know he's got that charity soccer game too and i've talked to him at one of those before and and about the idea of like how again how basketball and soccer um how he tackles them um uh, the, the same so yeah steve nash because he, he's up there uh, like i said on my short list um but a lot of these guys uh you know currently i'm trying to think who would be my favorite probably jamal murray i've said this before what i love about jamal murray is he's uh he's really the opposite of uh, steve nash in a weird way because he's the least canadian ever jamal murray he's like <laughs> he's just and i love it uh that's not a knock he's um he's he's just cocky and i and i freaking love it um and he's obviously a super talented young player so i probably go jamal current and uh yeah nash is a nash is an all-timer right there with elijah Wan and, and jordan for some of my personal favorites and nick van exel i throw him in there too uh steve nash i remember when i was maybe 11 years old i was at valley village with my dad and there was a Steve Nash Phoenix Sun jersey, and my heart stopped. And I was like, "Dad, please, God, it's only nine dollars. Can we get it?" <laughs> and I and he didn't let me buy it that day, but we went back the next day and got it. But I couldn't believe he made me wait a day because it wasn't that we were so hard up that a nine dollar jersey was gonna send us into oblivion. It was like, "Dad, please, this jersey. I love Steve Nash." But I did get it, and every time I played basketball, I'd wear it until I was like. 13 and it had no business fitting my body <laughs> anymore that's a great jersey and uh, obviously yeah. a great player uh and it's still like it's a little mind-boggling when you think about it especially because you know he goes to santa clara and then then does and then you know he's a fairly high draft pick but there were no expectations for him to explode and had a first couple of years that were obviously pretty quiet he was behind a lot of point guards in phoenix uh and then when he made his way to dallas it uh sort of erupted um yeah, and then Phoenix again. So, 
Uh, he's uh, he's just he's just a joy to watch. He just makes the game, I think, a lot more fun. Um, and he's was sort of a you know I know many people have talked about this before. It's it's a great what if with Steve Nash, even though he won two MVPs. What if Steve Nash had focused a little more on scoring and been a little more selfish in terms of shooting the ball because he was such an unbelievable shooter? Would he been a little bit more like uh, you know like a Steph Curry? Would have been would he been the um, you know Steph Curry light? And uh, that's it's. I think it's true. I think it's possible. But it, the, what I loved about him was the way he passed. That was the best part. I think he, Steve Nash is really great for definitely this reason. And I wonder if you agree. Andrea Pirlo and Steve Nash. Not only do they both have the like the flowing hair, but also Pirlo, his ability to score off of set pieces reminds me of Steve Nash's three point shooting. And they were both generational passers and creative passers. And they have like a similar build. Do you think that there's anything there? Yeah, I think you're right. I absolutely think that's right. You know, their, their elite skill is passing, but there is no doubt they could, uh, they could do a lot of other good things, uh, you know, in their respective sports. Yeah, and, and, the, and the look and the build, uh, that, checks, that checks out. So, yeah, I see what you're saying there. Yeah. Um, I have a question from a colleague of mine, Matt Schantz. He was, I asked him if he wanted a question for you when you were on the show. And his question is, format slash consistency of new show when moving from live TV to podcast. As a creative person or group, does removing the visual element feel limiting at all? That's a good question. Um, I wouldn't say limiting at all. No, they're just two different beasts. Um, when we, you know, I don't know how many people know this that, that are listening right now, but we started the podcast. We started podcasting, Tass and I and JD, after university. We went to Ryerson University. We took radio and television. We started an NBA podcast in 2006, way, way, way back in 2006, before really anyone knew what even a podcast was. They were fairly brand new at the time. Um, and, you know, we fell in love with it. We started to gain a little bit of a, a following. And four years later, we then signed with the score to podcasts and while we were at the score started to you know dabble a little bit in television production because we had done audio podcasting and then decided probably our best route to make this into our career is to do video podcasting so we started you know filming ourselves and started getting creative with videos we made and stuff like that and that sort of that turned itself into working for the score which then turned itself into getting a job with Turner Sports and NBA TV for six years um, and, we, and why we moved to Atlanta from 2013 uh, to now, really. And now, of course, we're back to podcasting. But the point of all that is it, we were naive when we went from doing a podcast, really, uh, that was our bread and butter with the score, to then going down to Atlanta to make a daily television show with NBA TV. We thought... We thought you could do them at the exact same time. You could have a podcast and you could do a TV show and it would work. Um, we found out very quickly it's just not the way it is. At least for us um, and, how we, at le and how we want to deliver both of them. They're just obviously two different mediums. Um, one, you can't even see what's going on. And we very quickly were like, they're just two different beasts and we got to focus. If we want to do them the way we want to do them, we have to focus on each of them separately. Um, which is why we continue to do the podcast when we were with NBA TV, but then we're really focusing on that daily 22-minute um, television show. So that was a long, long-winded way of saying um, I, I hear, I, I get the question, but it's like now it's like we're not worrying about TV anymore. And it's actually exhilarating because as much as I like being on TV and had a lot of fun with what we did and pretty proud of the type of show we created down there, um, it has its challenges as well. And a big one for me, as you can tell, I'm a little long-winded. So you can't do that in TV. You have to sort of be a little more punchier, which means, uh, you know, at times you can, it, it, it's tough not to come across at times as in a weird way, like not I don't, cocky is not the right word, but it's like it, you can't be too eloquent because you don't have a lot of time to really get across what you're saying. So you just got to go for that sort of juicy headline and hook into it and off and running and that's fine and that's a, a heck of a skill to uh, and some people that are great at it on tv and i applaud them but what i like about podcasting is you can take a topic and really really sink your teeth into it and come at it from different angles and then oh yeah go off on a weird tangent and come back and like that's fine and i think i, I think i'm just truthfully also better at it than i am ever was doing television so if anything i'm more excited to go back to um podcasting with the guys 
because we have obviously have built up such a chemistry um, that I think comes across. And I hope it came across on TV as well, but it really, really shines in a podcast setting. So, yeah, I'm not, not too scared, um, just more excited than anything. I think that's a great way of putting it, even if it was a little bit of a tangent. It did come off as more eloquent, so I think we achieved exactly what we were looking for with that. Is there anyone who listened to the Basketball Jones or watched the starters that surprised and flattered you that you've come across? That we found out were like fans of the show? Absolutely, yes. Um, definitely... You know, when we went to, to NBA TV, there were some growing pains. When we went down there, of course, I mean, we're a bunch of Canadians, or most of us are a bunch of Canadians that are doing an NBA show. And there is no doubt, you know, within the office, within the hallways, people are like, who the hell are these guys? What are these guys all about? They're all, you know, we're obviously not former athletes. What do they know? Um, but a year or two in, I think they started to see, like, first off, how much we love the NBA um, and, and and just genuinely enjoy talking about it, and then just how hard we worked and how we were not, like, fanboys or anything like that down there. Like, it was cool to see Shaq and Charles and Grant Hill and stuff like that and cool to be able to talk to them as colleagues, but it's not like we were like, oh, my God, you know, like, can I get your autograph? Except for Lee. He's always bad with that, but uh, he's got a lot of weird things for people to sign. Um, but... It was then cool as we sort of started to find our groove down there with the show and it gained a little bit more popularity or at least a pocket of people that were into it. We would start to have younger players on, especially at Summer League when we would get the chance to have on sort of like the high draft picks and we'd have them in a live setting with couple, you know, hundreds of people behind us in the hallway at Summer League. And every time, like be it Devin Booker or Carl Anthony Towns or whoever it was, um, you know, Trey Young, it was really, really cool to be like, they were fans. They would seem to be legitimate fans of the show. It was on in the locker room. They enjoyed it. They would reference things that we had done. Like, oh, it was crazy when, you know, they trapped you in a box for a show or something like that. Like, they they knew of the show and they just, you know, they weren't just being kind and just saying, oh, yeah, I love the show because they were coming on it. They seemed to genuinely know of it. So anytime. Uh, um, a current NBA player. And it wasn't just young guys because we would have the chance to have on, you know, guys that were in the league when they came through Atlanta every once in a while. Um, anytime that they were fans, that was always mind-blowing to me. Uh, that, you know, they were entertained enough or at least engaged enough with what a bunch of, you know, a couple Canadians and Australian and American were talking about and having fun talking about the league that they actually played in. Um, so anyone, anyone that ever played in the league always blew my mind. It was pretty humbling. Uh, yeah, that would be the answer for sure. I think it's really cool to have the the sport you commentate on to be valid to be validated by the people who participate in it. That's yeah, that's great. That's what yeah, because it feel it makes you feel for whatever reason like you are doing something right. It's one thing for the twelve year old wherever to be a fan of the show. That's who we're going for, and that's great. But it is really cool when the twenty two year old that. You were just talking about his game or his team, uh, you know, on a couple shows prior is now in the studio saying like he's a fan of it and respects, you know, how we engage uh, with not only our fans, but with the players that we have on too. Because look, we weren't having these guys on and just like asking boring questions. We would try and come up with some creative ways to get to know the player better. And it took a couple years, but there is no doubt those players and maybe their agents or whoever their reps started to see like, hey, you go on the starters. Um you're going to be able to get to show your personality. Like they're going to try and bring it out of you. So don't hold back. And people want that. They don't want to just hear you talk about, yeah, I just got to work on my game and, uh, you know, add the three point shot that gets boring after a little while. So they want to hear like what you're into and what you're about and give it back to them and they'll crack on themselves. So yeah, it was, that part was always cool, especially when, when people started to really figure out what we were about, I think, uh, was, was really neat. Do you think that you guys were able to uninhibit players that way because of really good work ethic, trying to figure out what they like, or do you think it was more due to like an essence or an ease or your guys' chemistry? I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, and always with the show and still to this day with the podcast, no dunks with the athletic it's I, uh, not just myself, but all of us were always, um, aware of, we need to find the fine line between being entertaining and being informative. So you can't like, we can't just be on TV clowning around every show because you're going to lose people that are tuning in to 
to hear and watch um, people talk about basketball and maybe learn some things um, and, and at least, you know, disagree or agree with opinions. And, and at least you trust those people have done the homework and are well-informed to back up whatever their opinion is. Um, so it's always, it's always been a balancing act. But at the same time, we don't want to just be boring either. That's boring. We're making a, At that point, we're making a television show and a podcast should be entertaining as well. So it's that balance of having fun, being creative, doing things that maybe haven't been done on a sports television show before and, and pairing that with, holy crap, these guys know their stuff. You know, they, they know they're, they're obviously fans of the league and they know what's going on and they, and they can back it up. So yeah, with the players, I think they, they, they respected that we did know what we were talking about. Um, again, they're not always going to agree with what we're talking about, but you can't deny that we didn't work our asses off and, and tried to learn as much as possible um, about the league that they were playing in, be it by watching it, by reading about it, by talking to them about it, um, and asking the right questions. So, yeah, but otherwise, you know, it doesn't take long once you would come into our studio to get the vibe of us, just even the look of the studio and, and us during breaks. It's like, we're going to have some fun here. Just relax. Don't you worry. You know, we're not going to try and put you on the spot or anything like that. Just uh, be yourself, really. The Basketball Jones, the starters, the free agents, and now no dunks with The Athletic. Yep. Is it tough coming up with names that you know are going to be on your product going forward? Was there any really good names that you guys came close to using? Is there any names you guys thought you might use that you're like, wow, thank God we didn't use that one? Have you had uh, a tough time branding anything like that? Um, this time has been by far the easiest, I will, I will admit, going to no dunks. Um, it's, it is, it's funny. Um, I think we've had pretty good names across the board. I know the basketball Jones was very memorable to people. The starters, I think, grew on people, um, even if they were hesitant at first. Uh, the free agents obviously was just like a little summer thing. That was basically a joke because, you know, we had lost our job with the starters, uh, or at least we weren't picked up again and we were looking for a new job. So the free agents were, especially with this uh, NBA offseason we had. Uh, and then no dunks. So, you know, we have unfortunately had to rebrand a couple times now. So it's uh, in a weird way gotten easier. People are creatures of habit. They generally hate any sort of change. Um, so anytime we change the name, there would be people, you know, whining about it on Twitter or that's a, a horrible name because they love the prior name so much. But I, you know, it, it, it takes like a week or two and then people are like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that, that, that name works. Like you guys are the same and, um, uh, it is what it is. And I will say I actually was, I almost was a little hesitant when we went with no dunks, we decided on no dunks. Um, I thought people might be a little bit like, oh, what? That's different. doesn't have the uh, in it anymore, like the Basketball Jones and the Starters and the Free Agents. <laughs> um, but I was pleasantly, I was pleasantly shocked that there were very, very few people that were like, oh, that's a dumb name or that doesn't work. Um, it's punchy. Uh, it's memorable. It's, uh, it's not like a it's not like a brutal basketball sort of term, you know, a lot of podcasts and, and there are some great ones, but they, they blend together the, uh, like a sort of basketball terminology into the title. Like, so it's, it's not really that. And I think people were really, they were just worried. Maybe we weren't going to have a show at all. So no matter what we called ourselves, they were like, Oh, who cares? Whatever they're called. I'm glad they're back. But, uh, yeah, no dunks. Uh, I love it. And, uh, it's, uh, you know, for some of those, I, I know we've had a lot of people tweeting at us, why did you go with no dunks? The, the real reason is when we first started the Basketball Jones, um, we started sort of like a little company called No Dunks between Tass, JD, and myself. So we decided when we were going back to our roots here of focusing on podcasting with The Athletic, we were like, oh, maybe we should, uh, you know, dust off that name uh, and bring that back and make it actually the title of the show. And so that's what we did. I, I've liked all the names so far, and I think it's it's interesting because they all signal a different type of period, and not to, not that I know your life intimately, but a, a different stage, right? Like yeah. the basketball Jones is kind of like it's witty and it's this purist basketball fan type of name, right? The starters is for TV; it's more accessible. After TV, it's the free agents; it's this self awareness, and then no dunks <laughs> is kind of just this sure-footed all right this is what we are now and it's yeah. short and to the point it's dropped it's dropped everything that it was before and it's like hey we're getting back to the roots 
but now we've been through it all. It's just no dunks. It's shorter than the rest of them, and that's just what it is. So I, well, I like it for well that. Well said. I, well said. I'm going to have to steal that. I like that. Yeah, you can feel free to chop this out, and you can <laughs> insert it wherever. That's great. That is. That's, uh, that's well said. And look, and the truth is, you know, we didn't want to change our names. Like, we were growing those brands, um, but because of with the basketball Jones, when we started that, like, again, we started that just as three guys podcasting. And I was like, all right, that sounds like a fun name. Well, when we went to NBA TV, we couldn't legally be called the basketball Jones because Cheech and Chong and Lou Adler, uh, you know, the famous music producer, he actually owns the rights to it um, because of the song, that old song. And then the starters, you know, NBA TV owned the starter. So we, it's not like we uh, could take that on with us. So we had to come up with a new name. But, uh, yeah, I'm very happy with No Dunks. I did like how you laid that out there. It is sort of, it's like we had the Jones and then we had starters. And then, yeah, the free agents is in there for a couple episodes. But it's uh, now we are, our new iteration is No Dunks. And hopefully it lasts for a long time. We own the brand this time. So that's good. Might be around for a long time this time. Good. Yeah, well, I liked Free Agents was really good because, like you said, you're winking at it. Yeah. And uh, that's, you know, that's always good. Everyone likes self-awareness in brands. So yeah. we contemplated going just with the Free Agents, like just continuing with that. Um, right. But it, in the end, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of doing that. I, I, I don't really know why. Um, well, it's I not just, like cute to be self-aware for the name forever. Yeah, like yeah, you need a new thing right. to step forward with. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. There was an article that came out. I can't remember the name of the writer. I sh- I should, but I can't. It was about sleep in the NBA. And it's talking about how this is the nightmare that everybody knows about. It's going to be like CTE in the NFL. I don't know if it'll be that serious, but sleep is really important. And due to the NBA's schedule, it's very tough for NBA players to get the proper amount of sleep. What do you think is the easiest and simplest way to move forward getting NBA players more sleep? How do you, <laughs> how do you ask you ask that? That's a tough question. I think it was, um, I could be, I hope I'm not wrong. I think it was Baxter Holmes with ESPN um, that maybe did this sleep article. You're right. Um, I, man, I look, hey, meditate, man. I don't know. Like when I can't sleep, I just take deep breaths and it generally works. But they, they look, these guys have a crazy schedule. It is weird. Um, and because of when they're playing the game and the adrenaline that's going after the game, um, you know, you're not, you're not just like showering and then putting your head down and falling asleep. And half the time you're going to another city anyway um, with the travel and all that. So I get it. Um, but look, I think. I guess it goes hand in hand with it all, but shortening the season to me still makes sense. I, I'm I'm pro like 70 games. I would shorten the NBA game itself, um, which I know some people disagree with. I love the 40 minute game that we get in international ball. Um, I'm not a huge college fan, but they obviously go 40 minutes too. I'm a big big fan of uh, four 10 minute quarters, um, like FIBA does. So uh, you know, sort of goes hand in hand with the idea of rest and sleep and stuff like that, but. I don't know, man. Like, I, I have no problem sleeping, so maybe it's easy for, for – uh, it's um, it's just not a big deal to me. It's definitely not going to be on the level of, like, CTE or stuff like that. I get that it's a concern uh, for these guys to, you know, play at their best of their best, but uh, let's, that's going – definitely going too far. These guys – yeah. They can sleep. They they definitely do sleep. Do they need more? Yeah, we all need more sleep, I'm sure. But uh, um, look, they're trying to get an advantage in every little spot they can, so I get it. There's no circadian rhythm for those guys. It, you probably read Tobias Harris's part of that. How crazy did you think his whole deal was from the machine he takes with him and all the work he goes through just to sleep properly when probably for you and I, we kind of take it for granted, you know what I mean? We just yeah. go to sleep when we feel like it. But this guy has to go through, has to carry machinery around yeah. with him to get into rhythm. It's crazy. No, that that literally is crazy. And you know what's funny about all that is, you know, this is these are games being played in America across time zones. Yes, but what three hours max time zone difference? All this talk about playing regular season games eventually and in Europe or wherever around the world, like, I mean, wow, then it will be a, then it will legit be a nightmare for some of these guys. Um, but I get the whole thing. I used to work a night shift. I remember way back in the day at a factory and it was a weird life. I mean, I know these guys aren't playing until five or six in the morning. I get that. But you know, the idea of you sort of finish your, your night shift and it's, 
you just don't you just don't go to bed it's just not how it works like it's the weirdest thing you're up for more hours and suddenly it's 10 in the morning and then maybe you're tired and then you get the blackout curtains and all that so you don't have light it's it's frustrating um but i don't i don't have the answer i gotta be honest except take deep breaths always when i can't sleep usually i can't sleep because my mind's racing that's the big thing so i just take deep breaths and it usually does the trick i did something like a night shift i did snow clearing in the Saskatchewan winter, at you go out at three in the morning and you work till usually like ten a.m. Right. Sometimes till like four p.m. And that was so I could try and write and watch the games at night. And so it was like, hey, I can do both. Basically, I became a zombie. Is yeah. what happened. When were you sleeping? That's the thing. I don't know when I was sleeping either, really. But it's it's really tough. I find once you're moved out of the nighttime daytime rhythm if you're being told you have to sleep during the day i just didn't do it yeah i found it impossible yeah i i eventually found the rhythm uh, i guess so to speak when i was in the factory job i didn't have it for all that long but a couple of months um just to make some cash um but you're it was not easy that part you're right because i i'm not a napper at all too and i think in the, in the article they talked about how naps are actually maybe bad for you at least for these guys uh, um so I never was a napper as it is and, and really am not to this day, even though I'm getting older and should be. But uh, yeah, that sleeping during the day is weird at first. But that then you just get to the point of so pure exhaustion where you have to lie down and close your eyes. So eventually you got to sleep or you'll die. That's what they tell me. Kyle Lowry is a very, very big figurehead for the Toronto Raptors. And as such, I think should be getting a statue at some point in the future. What pose should Kyle Lowry's statue be in? Uh, the obvious answer is him like taking a charge somehow. Yeah. That is the obvious answer, so I'm not going to go with that one. Um, when I think of Lowry, I sort of immediately think of him um, sort of doing like, what's the best way to describe it? Sort of like scream flexing, um, if you know what I mean. Like he's yeah. screaming, he's flexing with his hands like bunched up in fists like just emoting that passion that's sort of what i would go with i think with a lowry statue that to me um gets across his passion and how hard he plays that just classic sort of screaming um sort of pose if uh if you can sort of picture it just google kyle lowry i'm sure that'll come up in the first couple that's what i would go with i think what type of statue i would want would never be accepted but it has to be a three-person statue to fully embody the Kyle Lowry way of playing basketball. Okay. And it would have to be Kawhi Leonard dunking, Giannis trying to jump, and, well, actually four people, a referee not seeing Kyle Lowry pulling Giannis down. <laughs> because that is the complete Kyle Lowry moment. It's he, he takes the ball, gets it down to the other end, shovel pass, but the play's not done for him. Nope. He has to grab the defender by the shorts and be yanking him down so he can't block his teammate. It's, it's all those little things like that. And if they could find something that would capture Lowry's essence of doing things like that, that would be perfect. He, uh, Kyle Lowry has a whole lot of Chris Paul in him. And yeah. that, is a, that is a compliment. Uh, they are just, they are the guys that if they are not on your team, you despise them. Uh, just sort of how they're always looking for that little sort of cheap little trick or advantage to help their team's chances uh, of that possession, let alone to win the game. Um, that's, a, that, that's a good one. Trying to find something to represent that, uh, that type of Lowry. Not easy to find in a statue form. No. Well, even Game 7 against the 76ers, when Siakam got that run-out layup at the very end mm -hmm. and he fell down, I, I don't think a lot of people noticed, but Kyle Lowry had no business being on the floor but acted like he fell over and dove on the ball so that he wouldn't get a delay of game and so that Siakam would have time to get up so Philadelphia couldn't go back the other way <laughs> with Siakam on the ground. And it's just like, who thinks of that? Who thinks of that? That's you watch that playback and you can just see nobody touches him. He just dives after the ball and collides into the stands and he's like, oh, wow, how did this happen? And he stays on the ball until Siakam gets up and then he decides, okay, you guys can have the ball. And he runs back on defense. Like, who, the premeditation 
of that type of play is it's beyond me. Yeah, his mind is just going a million miles per hour, um, like thinking of, thinking ahead or like quickly reacting to things like that. That's it's it's wild, and it's uh, it's it was so awesome to see him finally win a title. I'm just so I was so so happy for him. I tweeted in the second game he ever played for the Raptors that he was like already one of my favorite players of all time. I just love how he plays, and that was his second game ever. I remember um, as a Raptor, and then obviously had. Many highs and had some many lows, but uh, he's still sort of the type of guy you want to root for. Uh, so it was amazing to see him win. Still cheering for him when he was number three, not even number seven. That's right. That's right. I guess this dovetails nicely. Now that the Raptors have won a championship, Kyle Lowry helped lead them there. What is next on your sports bucket list? Wow. That's tough. I guess, like... My own personal, like my own personal sports bucket list is to still run a marathon under three hours. That's still going to be a goal of mine uh, that I'm definitely going to have to work to uh, try and achieve that. I've, I've come close a couple of times and I got to run Boston for the first time last year, the Boston Marathon. So I hope to do that again. Um, so that's my own personal one. I would say like I, you know, obviously the Raptors are my favorite team ever i was there since the beginning and again have seen the highs seen the lows so a whole lot of lows before i left for atlanta um having season tickets with tass and the guys and sharing them and just going to a lot of losses um and then of course we leave and the raptors start getting good uh while we're down in atlanta <laughs> of course of course um but but i'm not you know i'm not really into other sports that much so it's not like i'm like sure if the jays win i be happy but it's definitely not a bucket list item or anything like that or the Leafs I mean again I'd be happy for my friends that are Leafs fans but I really wouldn't care I'd be excited but I wouldn't care that much I guess okay this is down the line by the looks of it but my dream or sports bucket probably watching like the senior men's Canadian basketball team Mm -hmm. um, defeat let's say the U.S. or win a gold um, at the Olympics win a medal even at the Olympics, I'm a huge uh, I'm a huge Olympics guy, so I'll go with that one. That would be that would be pretty pretty awesome, of course. Um, probably down the line still, but it's not. You know, it could happen. It will happen one day. Um, that, where they'll that's... you know they'll beat like a, a dream team type of team, like a Team USA team, and or win a medal. That would be so much fun, and I think it would be really cool, and maybe even more impactful for Canada than the Raptors winning. Because I have a friend down here, Beto, he's Peruvian. But even so, Manu Ginobili is like his hero. And every yeah. time we talk basketball, and we play basketball together all the time, he he has to talk about Manu because that team that won is so important for like Latin Americans to the basketball culture down here. And it's just, it would I think it would have a similar type of thing if Canada ever won the senior men's, at uh, especially if we beat the U.S. just oh, because yeah. of that. Yeah. little brother syndrome whatever it is it would it would be something else yeah a hundred percent because like even think of think of the olympic games between usa and canada in hockey and that's you know that's canada's sport like they're almost expected to win but those battles and just the um, pure joy of even beating them in that sport i can't imagine if it were to happen in basketball like you said the little brother uh you know definitely not considered our sport by any means um that would be huge. So that, that's that's um, that's that's at the top of the list. That would be amazing. Welcome back. I'm still here with J.E. Skeets of No Dunks with The Athletic. That is the podcast. And he has graced your TV screens before. You know him. You love him. And we're ready to answer some of the Twitter questions you guys have for him. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Will K at Will Conkin. Is the No Dunks Incorporated podcast going to do any live podcasts for an audience? That's a good question. Uh, the answer is that the answer to that, excuse me, is yes. Um, we're obviously brand new here with the athletics, so we're still finding our groove. Um, and it's early days um, with the season, you know, not even having started, but we're doing our season previews. Um, but absolutely, we've done some live shows in the past before. Um, be it with the basketball Jones or with the starters. They're awesome. We love them. And it's a big part uh, moving ahead here with the athletic to hopefully do more of those events. Um, so, you know, pick cities and do live shows. Um, 
that's the hope. So I think, um, yeah, the answer is yes to that. It's just finding, obviously, the cities to do them, the timing to do them. Um, but at the very least, like stuff like All-Star Weekend and stuff like that, we've done live shows and I've always had a blast. So hopefully, yes. What do you think, as, some, as somebody who was on the podcast train really early, 2006, and this is a question from me, what do you think about how it's progressed to where now, whether it's YouTubers or popular NBA Twitter people, they get to do these live podcasts and they're actually quite popular. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, you know, it is funny. We had this six year window where we were really focusing on TV. And I always think like, wow, it would have been weird if we had just continued podcasting uh, and been able to just focus on that. Would we be at this point doing those sort of like more, uh, those more live shows and selling out, uh, you know, small venues and stuff like that. Like if we had just, just done that, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. I mean, they still go hand in hand television and podcasting too. I get that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it like my wife is a huge fan of like, um, I believe it's called my favorite murder. Um, and I know they do a ton of live shows, um, and people seem to really enjoy them. Obviously people like to, I mean, people are listening to, you know, me Monday through Friday, they get to know me, they get to know the guys that I do the show with. Um, you know, they always come up to me and say something that I don't even remember I said, um, because I'm just saying so much over so many days, but maybe something stuck with them that I said, uh, either good or bad, and they're going to remind me of it. So it's always cool to, um, be able to see, like actually shake a hand and talk to these people in person that are, that are fans of the show. And that really, really generally truly know us pretty well because we share so much on a podcast. So I love doing them. I love the energy of them. Um, done a couple of hoop talks events here in Toronto with those guys. Those guys are great. Um, so I'm a big, big fan of them. And I love, I love what it can, that little element it can bring to live shows too. And it's different, you know, it's just a nice change from doing, the same thing every day, um, which is I, I'm always a big fan of as well. Trying to inject a little, a little life into something, I'll just do things a little different, get you out of your comfort zone a little bit. So hopefully we'll be doing more. Um, and another question from me: I'm always so interested to ask people who have a large following this question. For example, um, I think you know Amir Blumenfeld from Jake and Amir. He does the Buckets podcast. I've seen you That's guys right. interact before. Yeah. Um, I'm a massive fan of his. I think that like the Jake and Amir. The sketches were so good for so long, and I just the comedy that he's done, I think, is fantastic. And so I'm genuinely a fan of him online, whatever. And there are people who are fans of you the same way. He's a a comedy sketch writer, and you, a person who commentates on sports. One of these traditionally is somebody who would have a fan more often. The other, recently with the uprising of Twitter and everything like that has kind of dictated a cult of personality that sports writers get because of their proximity to thousands of followers on Twitter. Maybe not with everybody, but it definitely happens more often. What do you think about that presence in the media and on Twitter and things like that about writers now having this online presence and some, to some degree, a cult of personality at times? Do you think that's interesting? Because I've noticed it as a trend. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I'm, I, I call Amir a friend. Uh, he's been a fan of the show I know for a long time. I've gone on his podcasts. Uh, I was a big fan of Jake and Amir as well. I know Jake too. They're, they're awesome guys. I mean, that's the other part. They're just really funny, down-to-earth guys, and we really click. Uh, I remember the first time we met way back when we – I think the first time I met Amir was when we took our podcast at the time on tour – back in 2011 actually to sort of bring it full circle there with doing live shows and we had Amir on as a guest we had just reached out to him we thought it'd be fun to have maybe not someone that was in the basketball world at the time but just have a, a comedian on see that was a fan of the NBA and talk to him about it and it was great and then we struck up a, a friendship um yeah it's uh there is no doubt that Twitter is just an extension really of our podcast we <laughs> I tweet a lot i tweet a lot of things that I'm enjoying, a lot of articles that people have written, some funny, some informative. Uh, I'm going to get my jokes off just like everybody else. I'm going to get my hot takes off just like everybody else. Um, it's Twitter is different than it was right at the beginning. I've been there for a long time as well. Um, a big part of that is just there's way more people on it. And, you know, there's a lot more anger in the world. And uh, that sometimes uh, comes across on Twitter. But Overall, it's still pretty fun when you're watching a game. Uh, instead of watching it by yourself, so to speak, you feel like you're watching it with a couple thousand of your friends. 
commenting on what's happening and the, and the great plays or the funny jokes and the memes and all that. So, um, yeah, I've never, I've always, we've always used social media with our show as a big part of it in terms of talking to our fans and getting um, feedback from our fans and taking questions from our fans. So it's like, I don't know, they go hand in hand for me. So I'm used to it and we always have done it. And is that, and not to be too pedantic, but uh, just to reframe the question is, typically, at least I thought that sports writers or sports commentators didn't receive that type of fandom. But it seems like now with Twitter and with the internet, that's happening more. What do you think about that trend? If, if you feel like I'm phrasing that correctly, or yeah, if that's I mean, even a different question. No, I mean, I guess... I see what you're saying. Well, we just, the only thing is different. Like who's to say Bob Ryan, you know, actually wasn't a gigantic sort of celebrity in the Boston sports world. I mean, I'm sure he was, I'm sure everybody read him um, just because he wasn't, you know, writing back to people directly through Twitter. Did that really change of the amount of people that were like into him and following him and living on every word he wrote? Um, probably not. Uh, <laughs> but now we just see that, wow, Zach Lowe has 500,000 followers or Bill Simmons has millions of followers. Wow, like they are, they're big celebrities. Don't get me wrong. Like people care what they say. Uh, and, the, uh, and then on the flip side, people love to get angry about what they say um, just to let people know that people, everyone, they always want to take down whoever's at the top or, you know, throw stones whoever's at the top. So yeah, I, I'm not really answering your question because I'm not really getting it so much. But yeah, these people are, they're celebrities or personalities. There is no doubt about that um, because, People care what they have to say overall. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not phrasing it correctly. The example would be like um, last year, Lauren Miles, CJ Miles' wife, tweeting about how excited she was to meet Blake Murphy, who I know you know, and something like that, to where it's not like a Zach Low degree of fame or Kevin Arnovitz or Tim Bontemps or Brian Windhorst. It's not like the main ESPN guys like Hunter S. Thompson back in the day. It's like beat reporter guys who have this, you know, kind of very devoted following in smaller markets or in bigger markets. And then so it's just it seems like the extension has gone one step farther to where it's not just the big, big names in writing, but even smaller names have that type of fandom. Yeah, but I think that's I think that's uh, I mean, I'm like that with um, for like survivor contestants. You know what I mean? Like I love survivor. So I'm, I geek out more when I run into a survivor contestant than I do if I ever see an NBA player, because it's like, that's a huge little weird niche interest that I have. So it's like, that goes for everything. Like, yeah, there's going to be people that are going to be like, whoa, I mean, I read Blake Murphy all the time. It's so cool. I get to meet him and stuff like that. Like that just sort of goes. And now in today's world, because you can connect with people so directly. Yeah. Maybe it's more exciting. It's even more exciting. Um, when you actually do get to meet them face to face, but uh, hey, look, hey, Blake Murphy's a cool guy too. I would want to meet him too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I might have made just a, a social media question into a more minute type of question when maybe it didn't even belong there. I think that was a good <laughs> answer, though. I think we're we're all interested in what we're interested in, and rather than focusing on it as a trend in sports writing, which it definitely is, it's also a trend just in online engagement and yeah. <laughs> i think that was the way to to answer it for sure um the last question hi mr skeets can i ask you why you would agree to this can you share some more background and that's referring to the gif of um shack giving you the atomic wedgie i know you answered on twitter but if you could answer on the podcast that would also be helpful um, yes, yeah, so at first it did sound like, why did I agree to do this podcast with you? Which made me laugh. Um, <laughs> until you explained the game. I was like, damn, man, that's cold. Like, um, yeah, the, uh, the infamous Shaq Wedgie. Um, for those of you listening that don't know what the heck I'm talking about, um, we've done this for a long time with the show, even before the starters. We would basically bet on a game every night, um, you know, we would pick a game and, you know, I'll say, I'm saying the Nets win, you say the Knicks win, all right? So we pick whoever thinks going to be the winner between, it started with just Tass and I, of course, but then we had Lee and Trey in the mix, so the four of us are picking a game. Whoever would finish in last place in a particular month, whoever had the worst record, who was just the worst at picking games for that month, um, would have to pay it off. It was our pick and pay off. Uh, we do have plans to continue to do it with the No Dunks podcast. 
and we would have to come, you know, we would come up with something embarrassing, um, something weird, something like maybe, you know, you know, we know Lee doesn't like fast food. So if he were to lose that month, well, suddenly the challenge is you have to eat a ton of fast food, stuff like that. And one of them, um, it was actually, now that I'm thinking about this, I'm not even sure it was a pick on payoff, but we count wedgies and wedgies is when the ball gets stuck between the rim and the backboard. And one year we're trying to get to 50 wedgies. 50 wedgies is just a magical number. We just came up with it because it's just a nice round number, 50. But it turns out like 50 is like almost the perfect number over, over a season if you track all of them to like sort of hit because it's generally in the 40s. So if you get to 50, it's a good year. And we were coming close to it, but we had a dry spell. And I think actually I threw out the idea because we had found out that Shaq could come on the show sort of last minute. It's always last minute with Shaq. Shaq does what Shaq wants to do. Um, <laughs> I said, well, wouldn't it be funny if we made a sacrifice to the wedgie gods? And what I meant by that was, because we're going to have Shaq on, maybe we'll just pick straws. I am correcting myself. It wasn't a pick and payoff. I guess it was just like, because we were doing this wedgie thing, we'll have Shaq on. We'll pick straws, and whoever draws the shortest straw we'll have to get a wedgie live on air from Shaq. Like here's a big, you know, seven foot, 300 pound dude. He's going to, he's going to give a pretty mean ass wedgie. Um, and we told Shaq the idea. He obviously loved it. He was like, what? I get to give Shaq, I get to give a wedgie to somebody. Yes, I'm in. Uh, and then he just started pointing at me like, like evilly laughing. Like he wanted it to be, I don't, he wanted it to me be me probably because I'm the smallest of the four guys, like the lightest. I don't know. He thought it would be because the funniest. Because you look like Steve Nash is why. Oh, that's true. I took one of his MVPs. You're right. Um, so we did it. Like it wasn't planned. It wasn't planned for me or anything. Like we had the straws. I think I even held them and the guys pulled the straws and sure enough, I was holding the uh, shortest straw and had to get a wedgie by Shaq. And if you watch the clip, I mean, it's just Google Skeets Shaq wedgie. You'll find it. It's up on YouTube. Uh, and there is, of course, the gif of it. He he started, like, he was really scary. I mean, it's a big, giant dude behind you. And he's, like, doing the whole, like, he's doing the whole, like, spread your legs and, like, put your hands on your head like he's a cop. And uh, that was scary as it was. And then he finally starts, and he, like, he starts the wedgie so, like, he goes slow. And the slow was actually worse because at one point he was, like, my underwear was not ripping by any means. Like he was like holding me in the air and my feet were like going <laughs> like they're dangling. And I'm like screaming, like rip it. Like I'd rather you just straight rip it. Like this hurts way more. And then he sort of like ripped it. And then anyway, that was, uh, that was that and he, he had a blast and obviously it's, uh, a pretty funny little clip. Um, and you know, it's pretty cool for whatever reason that for the rest of my life, I'll be able to say I got a, sh uh, a wedgie from Shaq. Um, not, not something anyone else in the world, I don't think at least can say, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he gave one to like Dennis Scott or something for all I know. Who knows? <laughs> well, it's, you didn't even get to prepare and wear like easy rip underwear or anything. You just had to I go in straight. Wearing, I was wearing, I'm kidding you. I kid you not. Like, expensive like kelvin klein underwear <laughs> i wish i had thought that through like you're right i should have like uh odds are maybe i get it just wear my worst underwear i don't know i didn't i just didn't think about it um uh, and i still have plans i keep saying this and i keep putting it off but i i have the underwear and i want to like i want to frame them or something i thought it would be funny um with a photo of Shaq, you know ripping me up in the air i think it could be a fun little piece of uh piece of art to hang in a in a in a man uh, you know man cave or something like that in the sports room down the line i wonder if it would be funnier if it was just left alone as him giving you the wedgie and obviously people like to laugh at pain and that's all good of course but if there was like you know how magicians have those things you just keep pulling and pulling and pulling <laughs> it would be funny if that was it just kept coming 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 it would have blown um, his mind. It would have blown his mind. He was so excited to be giving a wedgie. I, 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 <laughs> I mean, I, and I guess why not when you're Shaq? Like he's obviously just a just an unbelievable character. Uh, he's he's one of a kind. Um, was especially when you see him and you're just like blown away how big he is, and then just his personality. He's like a big kid, and so shouldn't shock me that he was pumped to give a wedgie to somebody. Yeah. Um. One last question: How are you guys when you do the pickums and the payoff? And yeah. people having to do, let's say, Lee eating the fast food. Is that going to be a social media thing? Yeah, I think that will be the plan. Um, 
at times you can come up with the right thing that works um, for an audio podcast uh, if it's the right, um, you know, if it's the right sort of challenge or payoff. But generally, we'll probably make them um, for social media. Put them up on Instagram. Put them up on Twitter. Uh, you know, eventually our YouTube page and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so we have done a lot though. So it's tough. You know, we've talked about like maybe we should start running back some classics and do them again, but then we don't love doing that and trying to be creative and trying to keep come up with new things. But we have done some crazy things to each other uh, over the last whatever, how many years now? 13 years. Um, some, some have worked, some have failed miserably, but that's, that's half the fun. Not Kenny versus Spenny level stuff, but still, still pretty good, pretty entertaining. Yeah, yeah like my worst one. The worst one I probably had to do was I had to drink an entire punch bowl of eggnog during the show once <laughs> oh um, on TV. So we're talking less than 30 minutes, like with the commercial breaks. I had never, I had never, ever had eggnog. I had never tried it. I don't, that's just, a, it was weird. I don't know why I had never had it. But my parents never bought it. It was never around the Christmas uh, season. Um, and so I did it. I, I actually took it down and as we were going to to break as we were ending the show like credits were rolling i was like i'm going to puke and we had a garbage can ready and i started puking like you can see me turn around and i'm just like heaving into this garbage can and so that sucked but the sugar that was like coursing through my body i had the craziest shakes driving home from work uh from the show that night like I felt so ill. It was not good. That one legit sucked. And I've done some pretty crazy ones, I, I, I think. Uh, but that one sucked. Eggnog. I yeah. The first time I had eggnog, it was like crack. It was yeah. like the best thing I had ever tasted. I mean, it was good. I, was, I wasn't upset with how it tasted. I was like, oh, okay. I should have been having eggnog all, over all these years. But uh, you don't want to have a punch bowl of eggnog. No. <laughs> no, not in 22 minutes or 30 minutes. Um, that one was brutal. Another... <laughs> Just, uh, just thought of this one too. The most maybe embarrassing one we ever did. Tass and I tied once. This is when we were the basketball Jones. We tied, so we both ha- we both had to do the payoff, and which is even worse. Um, and the payoff was we had to go and do like a minute, a uh, minute and a half, whatever it was, of stand up comedy, but all of the jokes had to be about the NBA, and we are not obviously comedians and we don't know how to write <laughs> jokes and we're not used to doing this, but it got even worse because we, we thought we were picking a stand up comedy night, but in the end we were at some university. It was a U of T bar that was like sort of an open mic night. So no one was doing comedy. It was people like playing guitar <laughs> and singing like whatever. Not that it, they were all, not that they were great or anything, but it was still like music background. Right people not really paying attention. And then we had to get up there and be like, excuse me, excuse me. Like, and we really had to like play the room. And uh, at one point the person, cause we didn't tell the person that was sort of running the open mic, what we were doing. <laughs> so we were sort of shooting this gorilla style. Um, I remember them cutting Tass's mic. Like they were, <laughs> they were just like, we're not doing this. Like they just <laughs> cut the mic uh to to the rest of the room to the bar but we had our mics on so like you could still hear what tass was saying uh it was <laughs> it was it was so painful uh it was so so cringeworthy um just the the shots of people looking at us and just like what the hell are these guys doing but anyway that, that was a bad one that's long been i think a take is that everybody in their lives should have to do at least some stand-up comedy just so they can <laughs> humble themselves oh. because i imagine it's terrifying it's it is horrible and i mean i guess at the time it's not like i was on television daily but you know even for me fairly outgoing person obviously talking to people every day through podcasting or the television show it's uh even it's yeah it's it's horrible it's uh yeah it's it's very humbling that's the best way to put it even if you think you're somewhat of a funny charismatic person it is mad humbling um and it's Hell of a skill to be good at it. I saw Matty O. Matty O did some uh, stand-up, and he was actually pretty solid. It might be worse if you actually think you're charismatic and funny and the returns <laughs> say true. no to that. That's like, If you don't true. think you're funny, you go up there, you bomb, you're like, well, 
this affirms my thoughts. But if you're like, hey, I'm a cool guy, people yeah. like me, and they yeah. just, you get nothing back. Yeah, yeah. You, get that, you get that one laugh that's just enough to, uh, you know, get you coming back. It's like playing golf. If you suck at golf, you have like that one shot where you connect for whatever reason, and you drive it like 250, and you're like, oh, yeah, all right, golf, this is awesome. Yeah. And you're like, no, it's not. Every other shot sucks. Um, yeah, maybe it's like that, so you keep trying. That basically is how golf goes. Is You hit one good shot, and immediately your mind goes, if I keep shooting shots like this, I'll actually have a good round. Yeah. And then you just keep messing up, and yeah. you keep hitting bad shots. That's no, exactly it's, uh, it. It's infuriating. It's infuriating. And I don't, I mean, I've golfed a, a handful of times, but it is infuriating. Before I let you go, I think it would be good to give you an opportunity to plug your podcast and anything you want going forward. So the floor is yours, man. Yeah. Catch us um, Monday through Friday. No Dunks. Search for No Dunks. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can basically find No Dunks. Uh, we're on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play Music, um, Overcast. We're on The Athletic. If you don't want to hear the ads, then subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, if you want 40% off, go to theathletic.com slash no dunks. Um, highly recommend a subscription. I mean, there's an un unbelievable amount of talented NBA writers um, and even obviously all the other sports, but I'm focusing on the NBA. Um, so you can go to that if you want 40% off and then you can get the podcast without the ads there behind the paywall. Um, yeah, we're really excited. We'll have the daily show. It's probably be about 30 to 45 minutes every day talking about the big games, big stories, having some fun. And this year, because we're just focusing on podcasting now and it gives us a little bit more time um, to do other things, because making a TV show, man, you make a half-hour TV show, it takes you like eight hours. Um, we're going to be doing some fun little bonus podcasts. So we're going to have mailbag podcasts. I've got a trivia show that I've been working on with JD um, that we're really excited uh, to introduce. We're probably going to have it out on Sunday. I don't know when you're listening to this, but uh, hopefully going to have it out very soon. And a couple other things in store, one-on-one -on -one interviews like this, like I'm doing with you, Sam. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of No Dunks podcasts. So you're going to have to try and keep up with us because we're going to go uh, we're gonna go crazy this year with the podcast. We're really excited. Good. And to take it one step further, listener, um, Blake Murphy and Eric Kareen, the work they do writing about the Raptors is already enough to make the subscription worth it to The Athletic. But having No Dunks on there as well is truly it's you're spoiled as far as content goes and I, I think it would be worth your time and for me as well um if you're looking for anything from me i have a marcus all piece coming out on monday a new weekly column i do with lewis assman the black box report that comes out friday so that'll be when this podcast comes out and yeah if you guys want to check that out you can listen to everything that je suggested je thank you so much for coming on man it's been wonderful had a blast sam thanks man Thank you. And to the listener, whether you're listening to this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.